0: Welcome to the Future Christian
1: Podcast. Today I'm welcoming Reverend Dr. Sean Chow to the show. Sean is the Associate for 1001 New Worshiping Communities for Training and Leadership Cohorts for the Presbyterian Church, PCUSA. He resources and consults with regional denominational bodies, churches, and church plants as they launch new creative expressions of church. He is a graduate of Azusa Pacific University, with a Master of Divinity from San Francisco Theological Seminary and a Doctor of Ministry at New York Theological Seminary. The author of Rediscovering Vitality, which we'll be talking about here shortly, Sean has an inner desire to be part of a God-driven movement that impacts the world for God's glory. His aim is to prepare, equip, and sustain leaders to do the work in which God calls them. He is a frequent speaker to churches, committees, gatherings, and conferences. Sean and his family live in Southern California where he can be found on a local tennis court having reconnected to an old passion. All right, welcome to the show. Uh, Sean Chow, what else would you like our listeners to know about you?
2: Oh, I'm just... I'm, for me, it's just kind of what you have read in my bio is plenty, but um, it's I love to be with churches and to talk with leaders and see what they're experiencing. That's just what I love to do these days.
1: Great. Uh, talk about, if you would... Your journey of faith, how that, uh, what that looked like initially, and what that looks like today.
2: Well, I think my faith, like a lot of different different people, was kind of developed over a long period of time. So I didn't go to go to church or anything like that until it was until I was in junior junior high and high school, and I really got exposed to kind of the Christian faith through youth pastors. And in the eighties, the youth ministry was just a huge thing, as opposed to it is a lot now. And so. I spent a lot of time and I remember like my my faith journey really what was in service to other people. I remember I came to faith in um, a little village outside of Mexicali, Mexico during a missions trip. That hmm. I thought I were just going to go we we're just going to go to Mexico for the summer. I thought my parents were the coolest things ever letting me go yeah. with a whole bunch of high schoolers to Mexico for a mission trip. And it was there just in the middle of, of this rural village, which I encountered. I encountered Jesus and I encountered what what unconditional love was and kind of gave me that whole sense of, of meaning. And it kind of grew through through that and the nurturing of the small group that I was a part of for many different years. And then kind of my, my faith has really grown by God placing different people in my life to kind of move me to that next set place in my life, to, to challenge me to those next thoughts or wherever God was kind of leading me. But a lot of it's been developed by just God putting different people in my my head and to, not in my head, but into my heart and into my life that kind of nurtured me and walked with me into three different spaces.
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. What are some spiritual practices that you have developed uh, or are meaningful for you?
2: I think, like spiritual practices, I've you know you, we always have those different people that you aspire to be. Like, right. there's this lady that used to be at that church that um that I used to serve as the youth director for. That she's like, oh, she's getting up to pray. We're going to be here for like 15 minutes, <laughs> but she exuded Jesus. You know, those mm-hmm. different people that you're like, like, how do you just exude Jesus? And when you walk in the door, you feel Jesus and all these different things. And I've I've always longed to be those different people. Where's the it was that Sylvia Sylvia who exuded Jesus or the Jay Lakata that's in my life that that you're like I know he was praying for me constantly. And so and I've always tried and I think that's the problem with sometimes of us is that we're always trying to measure ourselves to those people that we idolize in our faith walk. And I realized it took me a long time that I'm never gonna be Sylvia or I'm never gonna be Jay I have to figure out what what this faith walk looks like for me as Sean as a person as a person of yeah. faith and it it might not be like the friends that I have they're like, we wake up every morning and we read the Bible in Greek and we journal for two hours. I'm like, <laughs> that 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 is so not me, but I think but for me, it's it's understanding the Bible, reading through it, really sitting and sitting and letting it be. But I think that for me, instead of – I think – and I will, I'm sure we'll talk about this later on is, – is that whole idea that um, that our faith is like we internalize it. We consume it, whether it's a Bible study or what, whatever it is. Don't mind my dog there. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we, we internalize it, and, um, and, but we don't go and do and to be. And I think that's the important part. That's my spiritual practices. How do I live out the faith that I've internalized? We can sit there and read the Bible about different things that are going on, but how do we go and do, how do we live it out? Because oftentimes We have a consumer mentality in churches. It's like, hey, if they're not feeding us, if they're not giving us what we need, I need to go somewhere that I can. And it's all about a me perspective as opposed to how do I live out God's word that's been portrayed to me? And I think that's the important spiritual practice in my life. It isn't because I would love to be those people getting up and reading in Greek and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, that was so amazing. But I realized that's not my personality but how do we find the spiritual practice that works for us? And I believe it's like reflecting on the verses that God's really put in my life. And then how do I live them out? And so that whole idea of living out God's word is, is that real spiritual practice that resonates in my life.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Thanks for sharing that. Well, let's talk about your book, Rediscovering Vitality, a handbook for church visioning and Mission. Missioning, struggling with that word, which many <laughs> churches are struggling with, <laughs> with the concept. Yeah. Again, rediscovering vitality: a handbook for church visioning and missioning. And uh, first, first, tell our listeners kind of about what inspired the book.
2: Well, a lot of it was I was going through my doctorate at the process, like a few years back. I was going through my doctorate and really, I was like, you know, when you're going back for your doctorate ministry, like. Some people like to be challenged. I'm like, oh, cool, cool. Another degree would be really cool because, mm-hmm. yeah, why, why not another another right. degree? And then I was like, I can. I was planning on playing it safe through that whole cornerstone project, that practical end. It's like, I'll just, I'll just redo something that we've already done with my previous job. Maybe we'll create a training manual or what, whatnot. But Dr. Tina Blair, who was my faculty advisor and the head of the doctorate program, goes because we just entered COVID like just as this was going on she's and she goes to us and goes you're at a place where you can impact the church in remarkable ways Mm -hmm. she's all swing for the fences at these times as opposed to playing it safe because she's like the church is entering a new place and oftentimes we don't have the time or the space or even the bandwidth to really wrestle with this so she's like go swing for the fences make a difference. What you do, make it a gift to the church. And so I remember reading an article, which, which, which was, which was kind of really talking about how, how this pandemic is really going to shift the church. So it was like early 2020 where we're like, how, how does this whole thing work? The church, we were expecting as the church to kind of just shut down for a little while and come back and exactly be the same. But we, we, as we, as longer went, we begin, we all, it's not just like me or something like that, began to see something's different about this. And I think that's what kind of really inspired the book was like, hey, churches are, we're having to shut everything down. I remember the church that, that I sit in the back of because I'm on the road so often. And so when I go to church with my family, I have to sit in the back because I, you don't get to sit in the back as a pastor very often. Right. So I think it's really cool, but but like as in all churches, it had to figure out what they thought was essential. Mm-hmm. What is essential for their church? And it kind of got whittled down as like, hey, w- they found that community was important, and so community for them was, hey, we need to figure out how to come together in Zoom or how do we come? How do we come together? But also the sacraments were important. Now, how do we do communion together? That this, we do it every month and we just kind of like, okay, whatever, every, every month it's another thing to do. But then we realized that it was essential to the church or this particular church was that we need to come together and do communion somehow. And so these, this whole idea of finding out what was essential, everything else just kind of threw apart the potluck dinners, the small groups, some of these other things that we do as churches, we we has, was not essential for us that each church had to figure out what was essential to keep it going. For some, it wasn't like you couldn't do Zoom because you just didn't have the capabilities to do Zoom. So they met in parks or whatever it is. But we whittled down who we were as a church as essential. And so as we reemerge from this pandemic, we're having to say, okay, we whittle ourselves down. Are we wanting to go back to what we were before? Is that what God called us to be was what we were before? Or is there a new future out there, and what is that possibility of what God's calling this particular church—Assemblies of God, Lutherans, Methodists, whatever it is? What is what is God calling this particular church to be? Impact its community, because as we know, that the communities have vastly, vastly changed in in the last couple of years. That it isn't just people moving, but the way, but the way people's lives are are drastically different.
1: Yeah. So, kind of on this topic of COVID. You had a couple points in the book that I thought were really interesting. One was you made the comparison of COVID as an ice age versus a blizzard. So I don't know if you want to kind of talk through that and then talk through uh, the, the metaphor there.
2: Yeah. So a lot of metaphor came from Andy Crouch, who early in, I think March, 2020 wrote an article about this. And I was like, I was just amazed by this article since we're like, it was under a month into COVID and he makes starts making these comparisons, but he goes a different kind of different direction than kind of where I kind of took it. But, but you think of, so I'm a Southern California boy. <laughs> <laughs> I grew, I kind of grew up, went to college here at Azusa Pacific. And I've lived on the coast here in, in just by Santa Barbara for 20 some odd years. But one of my first jobs was, was to, of an ordained minister was just across the bridge from Philadelphia in New Jersey. And I, I, I remember stepping into the doors one of the first days at that church and an old gentleman from the church comes to me and hands me a snow shovel. He's all, like, Sean, if you're going to survive on the East coast, you have to learn how to shovel snow. <laughs> I was, he's like, he's like, I'm not going to teach you how to do it, but you're going to need to know how to do it because mm-hmm. things are different here. You're not in California anymore. And I was like, Okay, and, the, and then so what I've learned in being on the East Coast is, hey, a blizzard comes. The, the snow comes, the swallows come, whatever it comes, you hunker down in your house. And then after a little while, it might be a day, it might be a couple days or whatever, the snow plows come, the salt comes, and then the roads are plowed, and everything kind of gets back to normal, that it was everything was simply the way it was prior to the pandemic. And then you have, and we as ch- as church people kind of expected this whole same kind of theory to apply to us as yeah. we were as we were going through COVID. That we're like all our governors were saying, "Hey, a two week shelter in place, mm-hmm. COVID will pass us by." Kind of like the angel of death in the Old Testament. Yeah. We're like, "Yeah, okay, we're going to everything's going to be back and fine." And two weeks later, there were people wanting to worship in choirs again. They wanted to be they wanted to be together. They, everything wanted to return to normal, thinking that we simply went through a blizzard. But we, what in fact happened is that we went through an ice age, and the ice age was more than that one occurred two weeks, but we've experienced over the last couple of years, in that the ice age is this huge glacier that's coming down, and as it's receding, ra- radically reshapes the landscape that we're in lands where the rivers used to be are in different ways where where animals used to be able to find animals maybe they don't live in there more because the because the trees or the roots or the weeds that they used to grow, grow eat off of are now in different places everything has changed and i think we've seen that over the last couple of years during covid that's a radical reshaping of the context of the church not necessarily the church but also the world mm-hmm. and we talk about the social inequities yeah. that are going on like in, in california right now they were celebrating today on the news this morning that it was a six fifty-eight a, a gallon for gas that wow. had, that had dropped two that had dropped two cents in wow. the last couple of days. We're like they're like, woohoo. Yeah. But but what happened to those people that were making it paycheck to paycheck yeah. in February of twenty twenty? Yeah. That as when gas was two seventy-three dollars a gallon and now we're paying six fifty-eight a gallon. Yeah. What happened to the people that are on the edge of life then? as opposed to now. We've seen the rise in social inequities that are going on, hey, say the Asian hate that's going on, the, the racism that we see is going on. There's so much that is going on that has happened, really magnified during these last couple of years, that do we simply sweep that under the rug or how does the church actively engage in this new world, this new context? The question now that I hear oftentimes is for all the churches that have gone online, Hey, people aren't necessarily coming back, but if you're in you're in Denver and you have people showing up from Philadelphia or or Minnesota or Taiwan or wherever it might be,
0: mm-hmm. how
2: how do we even talk about membership anymore? It's right. not that you're in driving distance to you and me, to yeah. each other anymore, but but the way we connect with each other is vastly different. So there's so many different intangibles that are going on going on in our life and our in our world, in our church context that we need to kind of really rethink of who who and what we are, that it's not just simply we're going to rewind in a couple of weeks and some, suddenly it's going to be exactly like it was prior to the pandemic, but things have drastically changed and the church doesn't re- recognize that because yeah. we simply want to go back to where we were comfortable.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think certainly I'll confess when I was leading a church back in March of 2020, that was my, Biggest thing is like, oh, we're gonna take a couple of weeks off. We'll be back for Easter. Um, but yeah. I kind of lamented. I feel like, and I have lamented, from my my perception at least perspective. You know, I don't I don't think there's been enough enough change. I think, or enough acknowledgement of what's changed, and a and desire to to reevaluate. You know, just from an from an evangelical source of just seeing some data the source had collected you know that even from last year attendance is down 30 percent so i mean it's it's significant significant change um that churches are seeing so here's a here's maybe a a follow-up question related to covid and change what do you think changes what do you think uh changes from covid are temporary what changes are permanent and maybe maybe what should be you know Similarly, what should be temporary, what should be permanent? What are your thoughts there?
2: Well, something like – some of the changes that I think are temporary is I – while I would love – I think this idea that we can be in community as a church through distance. Like while I can can do this, but we are relational people. I think we need to re-figure out what this relationship is. Even though I have nothing wrong with saying, hey, I'm connecting from here or there or whatever – we're a relationship. As, as a body of Christ, we need to figure out how to do it, how to be vulnerable with one another. How can I uplift each other, saying, hey, Lauren, how can, how can I be there for you? Even though the relationships can be built online, I, I think this idea that, that we're going to be, be able to do things hybridly, easily, I think, yeah. that, I think everyone thinks, okay, just, just to pass off, w- whatever. My mother-in-law loves to watch it on, watch <laughs> her service online. So she doesn't, so she's like, I feel more comfortable. I don't have to get up, get myself ready or, 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 or whatnot. But this, this whole idea of that, that we can get along in our lives without relationships with one another. I don't know how mm-hmm. it's done. I'm not bashing like saying, right. hey, hybrid can't be done. But what is important is our relationship. So somebody supporting me in my life, who's, who am I being, the the, creating genuine, authentic relationships online is hard. It's hard to pour out my life and my soul to you that I'm not in that same, that place with when we're done with the meeting, we're like, click, we're done. As opposed to we'll sit around at a, at a, at the coffee hour for an hour, just chit chatting about the randomest things. But that's what I long, that's what I long for is those relationships and I think we as as humans long for relationships to be authentic and genuine and I and maybe we just haven't gotten the way of figuring out how to do it online yet yeah but I think people are just settling for this and saying I don't want to invest in it's easier for me to watch yeah watch First Presbyterian Church as opposed to being a part of it I think that's what we need to figure out is how do I be a part of it as opposed to I am consuming what you, live stream that you've done for me. Right. And that's great. I don't have to put myself out right. or be a part of the ministry of the, of the First Presbyterian Church. I think that in that whole relationship, that whole authenticity, I think that's something that we need to figure out. I, I think, I really do think that this live stream and all this stuff is here to stay. But we need to figure out how does it work so that we can be a body of Christ. I think, I think, and I think that and that goes back to that relationship. How do we make it work? It can work because I hear stories of my friends. I have a friend that's in Chicago, not Chicago, in New York, that says, We do things online. Our worship, our worship and everything is online. But once a month, we gather in New York City because that's where their church is, their, their church plant is, and we gather for authenticity together. And what is interesting, he'll talk about people that'll drive up from South Carolina. To this, to this picnic because they feel they're a part of that church, so they'll make that. I don't even know how long of a drive it is, but I think they figured out how to cross the the internet, the web, the web, and actually create authentic relationships. Because if I'm driving from South Carolina
0: That's to authentic. New York to
2: meet these people for the for the fir- for the first time, it's not like we had a previous relationship, but for the first time, they figured out how to make authentic relationships. I think. That's a key: is how do we make authentic relationships online, so that you, even though you're in Denver, feel connected with me in Southern California, and we have an authentic relationship across a digital divide. And I think that is not easy for people. It's not easy for me, but and it's not easy for pastors. But how do we figure out how to how to do some of these things? And then on the on the more permanent side is how do we as a, as a church acknowledge that we went through a shift? How do we acknowledge it? We're not going to go back. These changes that we've gone through are because crisis accelerates, accelerates mm-hmm. the change that's already happening. Change mm-hmm. was happening, right. but, if, but this crisis COVID really accelerated it. So instead of a couple of years, we felt like we left left live like 10 years, if not 15 years of life. But so we're not going to rewind all these learnings and say, these didn't count but how do churches interact with their communities that are now like vastly different than they were in 2020? And how do we interact with it? And I think that's where, where we, we often like, uh, we, we as churches and as, as leaders and assume we know what the church, the community needs instead of, Hey, let's figure out what the community actually needs. And so that's what excites me is, is how do we, live out our faith? As I talked about my spiritual practice, how do we live out our faith into actually doing it instead of sitting in our four walls and just consuming what God's what's doing? But how do we interact and we live out what God's called us to do?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I like that. So you mentioned there about, uh, previously about, you know, someone consuming a live stream, being comfortable. And, you know, we, we all understand uh, and can respect and appreciate context where that's appropriate. Um, But you have a quote in the book about, if I can get it right here, something about the church. How often is the church risking its own discomfort rather than asking people to risk their own discomfort? And, you know, the classic kind of way this happens, it's like, come see us on Sunday morning. You know, so a first-time visitor is risking a lot of discomfort walking into the church potentially for the first time. And if I'm understanding correctly, your point is that's not going the other way a lot. So I was really intrigued by that. Talk talk more about that if you can.
2: Yeah. So I was I served as an associate pastor at a church that sends out like 10,000 flyers on Easter, and I you know you open your mailbox and every, you got flyers from every church. Right. And the response rate for that is very low. Or
1: point. 0. 0.075 something crazy <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah and you're, you're like how many thousands of dollars are you trying to extend out to get that one or two people in but but the whole idea of like when we think about doing ministries this the story that i often tell is that that um i i one of my things i was supposed to do as an associate pastor is figure out how to make interactions with the community And so what we we used to do is do after-school Bible studies with kids, help them with their homework and and so forth like that. I remember walking with the principal of the school and saying, what do you need? I think I know what this community needs, but what do you need? And she goes, 30% of the kids in this neighborhood are on free and assisted lunches. What scares me is what happens this summer when we are no longer around to do that. And I go, okay, let's be a part of the solution.
1: Yeah that's uh, that's risking some discomfort on your own part.
2: Yeah and so so I went back to some of the, some of the people that make potluck dinner make potluck dinners at our at our church the ladies that love the macaroni salad the guys that love to grill and do all these different things and say hey there is a need in our community what can we do to solve this and they're like obviously we'll cook for everybody in the community and i'm they're like we can open up the fellowship hall people can be air conditioned and everything like that as a like, that's where our problem is is that we invite everyone to our safe spot. Mm-hmm. That is not their safe spot. Those mm-hmm. in the those mm-hmm. in the community they're like but we're the church in the, in the community that's nice that you're the church in the community but this is your where you feel comfortable. And it's going to might take a lot for someone that doesn't know anything about church or that whatever it might be to step into our building. We need to go to where the people are. Yeah. So I'm like, this is going to be difficult for us, but we need we, what we, we did was we took the church van. We had a trailer on the back and we put all the meals in the back of, into the back of the trailer and we drove it. We literally parked it on the grass of the school in front of them, set up tables and everything. And so that, so that we were where they felt most, most comfortable as opposed to where we feel most comfortable. 'Cause there are there's as I travel around the country I hear stories about people that that get a real physical response of going to church, not knowing how they how how they should act walking in a church, let alone during a worship service. Like if you go in a worship service and you've never been in church before, you're like, Okay, they're standing now. Why are they standing now? There's a little <laughs> asterisk or the bold's going on. What does the bold mean? <laughs> <What's that? laughs> or, or all the or all these different things, but it's like where we feel comfortable, but if, but for somebody to learn our language, it's uncomfortable,
1: mm-hmm. and so
2: we need to be able to go out and to be among people where we might necessarily feel uncomfortable, but where people from the community will be willing to come. The idea is that is that God it's this this missio dei, the sending God that God that God sent jesus into the world who sent the holy spirit who sends us into the world that if we believe that we are a sent people into this into the world why are we making other people take the risks why are why are why aren't we taking the risk sure i feel i I, you know i'm a natural introvert so church planting was incredibly like soul-sucking in some different ways just talking to different talking to different people, but how do but how do we interact with people that are in the community? We need to believe that God has called us to this community, and so we need to be able to go into this community and to simply be. The verse that I often often use comes from t- Jeremiah twenty nine, where it talks about in seeking your shalom, in seeking the shalom of the city that I have called you, you will find your shalom. Yeah. So that if we're seeking the peace of the of of the city that lives of Los Angeles or seeking the peace of this city that we will find ours Yeah. And so that we're being called into this community as opposed to God dumped us in this community and we're trying to figure out what's doing, what we're supposed to be doing here. But in actuality that God's called us to this community and we need to make a difference because our faith is connected to how to the shalom of that community, that peace, that whole witness of who we are. Because if in finding the city that God's called us to, shalom, we too find our own shalom.
1: Yeah, that's good. That's good. I'm thinking about a while back, I had on JJ Peterson, who's a marketing guy, and he talked about the number one thing that people look for on a church website is what to wear to church, speaking of yeah. discomfort. Um, and then I was laughing about your flyers thing or mailings. Um, I remember someone telling me that, um, or Or actually, I'm thinking back. You know, I think the response rate is like a good response rate is like half a percent. So really, to get any kind of like significant bump, you know, someone was telling me like for a new church start, you send out fifteen thousand flyers. So you expect on a in a good response, seventy five people slash families. But again, probably looking at fifty cents if not more per flyer. So you're talking easily eight grand. Uh, which is a yes. lot of money. So uh, no silver bullets there for sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I think uh, another thing that you you mentioned in the book that I thought was really interesting was you talked about the importance of a church being able to honestly assess their ability to pivot. Um, I think we've all heard the stories of churches being like, oh, if we just get a young pastor in here with a family, everything will be good. Yes. I've experienced that. Um, talk about, I, I guess, a the importance of that honest assessment, and b what are some like red flags of like, hey, this is not going to work.
2: Well, on, on the cyclical publishing website that it, that's out there, I, I've ended my book, and if you want to ask me for it, I'll send it to you for free. Is I have a congregational assessment saying, hey, let's look at some of these different things. I'm not saying that no church can't make pivots, but there's some there's some red flags that are out there. Like if in the inability to follow a mission statement, if you have, if mm-hmm. your church has an inability to follow a mission statement, then you have some issues that you need to work, work through. Yeah. If, or you're saying you, you, you have this vision, you have this 10 point plan, you have this plan that you, if you're on inability to follow a strategic plan, that if you, if you kind of get three steps in and then you get bored and create some, do something else, <laughs> some of these different things are happening then you need to stop, not saying that you can't do it, mm-hmm. but you need. there needs to be a different level of dedication. It's not saying, okay, it's not like you're going and you're going, okay, there's an off-ramp here. Let's take the off-ramp and let's go and detour somewhere else. But there's some things that you need to say, Say, hey, if this is where we believe we're going, we need to follow it to the to the end. But along the way, we need to say we're not going to follow this even if it leads us off the cliff, but you also need to be able to say, hey, we set metrics up. And we set evaluative measures, real evaluative measures up there, not necessarily numbers, but what our impact is in the community before we say, okay, this thing isn't working. Because experimentation is important, but also experimentation that's done right is important. Because I think a lot of people are like, we're just going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Because you know many of the different church fads that are out there, the per, the secret sensitive services that were out there, all these different things. If if you want to do a mobs group or what, whatever mother preschools or whatever, these different things are out there. Because we've heard stories when pastors get, oh, this worked in my church. Well, then it must work in my church. So what what we learned is that context and the people that God has assembled is important. Like if you're if you are if you're trying to lead a mother of preschoolers small group or group in your church, but you have no, nobody that's in that demographic or even knows how to interact with that, then (laughs) that obviously is not for you. Right. So there needs to be some thoughtfulness to this whole pivot idea. But one of the things that I, I kind of talk about kind of alluding to what you, what you said is that, is that it? We that if only mindset that we have. That if mm-hmm. only we had the young hip pastor with ripped mm-hmm. jeans, bleached hair, sitting yeah. on a stool with, with, with as my mother-in-law would say, with the light show going on.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> but then, then we could do everything God calls us to do. Or if we had more resources, if we had more families, if we have the list goes on and on and on of the if onlys. But. Are we believing that if only God gave us a little more, then we can truly do what God wanted us to do instead of believing that God's given our church everything that we need? Perhaps we're not just we're not using that right. Perhaps that what God's blessed us with, we're using in the wrong different ways. And perhaps we need to reassess what what how and how we use our assets was what I was what I really term it is which is not all finances but it's a physical building, it's partnerships, right. it's spiritual right. gifts. It's all these different things, but are we using what God's blessed us with in the way to live out where God calls us to go? And I think a lot of times we're a lot of our assets go into what we've done previously. That Even though no one shows up for it anymore, we still do a, a, a lot for a vacation Bible school that, whole, that does five kids, but it takes us months to set up or all these different things that we put the assets into the wrong places as opposed to reorganizing it to what God has possibly possibly wanting us to do so our ability of to pivot is 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 great there are red flags with it god god calls us to do different things to seek, seek the shalom in our in our communities but how do we pivot and how do we pivot well is important we can't just pivot for the sake of pivoting's sake and leave everyone in our congregation behind. But how do we all move into this way together?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um Another interesting point you make in the in the the work towards change is the the emphasis on finding the right change leader. I believe is the word you use. And I, I was curious. A is like, how would you? What are some key characteristics, key values of such a leader? And this is perhaps part B, more of a cynical question: Like, do such are there enough leaders in mainline Protestantism uh, to do that work?
2: <laughs> and, and that's a that's a big question. Yeah, do, is there enough that are willing to do it? Right. Um, the definition that I often that I often use for someone that can that can lead change and lead change well is you think of a pressure cooker. Mm-hmm. You think of a pressure cooker that you're cooking, doing different right. things. Can they keep the pressure on enough without the top blowing off? Because as when you're leading in a church, you want to keep the pressure on to make some of these changes, but you don't want to go so far off that you've lost your congregation or you've lost your position or all these different things because there's so many different intricacies within, within each church. It's easy to say, yes, we all can do make change. But there's intricacies when you lead a church saying we don't want – how do we lead change when we need to make sure that we sustain our stewardship of what's going on, the income of what's, of what's going on? Are we going to just completely alienate us and everybody is leaving the church? So mm-hmm. how do we make – how does the leaders make change? Like some leaders would be saying, okay, I am four or five years from retirement doing change and making change and really making waves is not something I want to do and be left four or five years out before retirement. So there's all these, so it's not like there's this great list, but it all comes up to us of what we're willing to do. And I think that in the main line, there are enough people that want to do it, but the harder part of it is living it out. How do we keep the pressure on and being willing to keep the pressure on so the top doesn't blow off or are we just went willing to let it settle let mm-hmm. the pressure cooker be so low that it's not really doing anything. Yeah. So it's kind of finding that middle balance thing. Like all pastors will say, we want change. We want God to do incredible things, but I'm not willing to take the risk to do some of these things, or I'm saying I'm do I don't I'm doing this and I don't care if anyone's following me or not.
1: Mm-hmm. And suddenly
2: your 500 member congregation is down to 75. Right. And, in the- and all these different things blow up. But I believe there are some, as I get to travel the country, there are some incredible leaders that are doing remarkable things. I love my job. So I work for the Presbyterian Church in the new worshiping communities. And so it's the kind of the church planting end of the Presbyterian church. And just being able to travel around and hear the stories of people that are doing remarkable things. Of these different churches that are like, we are willing to do this because our pastor put the put the pressure on. Hmm. And Put the pressure on, and it's oftentimes it got so tight that it wanted to blow off. But he let out the steam enough so that we rec- recognize where we are. And in five years, even though even though it's been hard, mm-hmm. we're at somewhere that God is using us in remarkable ways, and we wouldn't want it other way. So there are incredible things, but it is it is the willingness of the pastor, the leader, the session of how much pressure that they're willing to take in their church, because some. And it also depends on the church. If they're an older congregation, they're they're not going to want to have the pressure that they just want to be. They want to come together and worship and do the things that they've been able to do. They don't want don't put any pressure on us to do to make changes or suddenly if, if you're mo- moving from a hymnal to like electric guitar and during worship or whatever. And there's there are places for 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 these things that are going on. That saying, okay, this congregation won't withstand the pressure, but how does it live out its legacy in the community that God's called them to? Perhaps there needs to be some other way to do it. While they might not be it, maybe something can be created that is going along parallel to them. So there's tons of different options that are out there and God is using incredible people to do incredible things that I'm excited to be a witness of.
1: Well, I wish we had more time. I want to ask a bunch more follow-up questions, but... uh... (laughs) For the sake of both for our time, I, I'll uh, I'll move on here. You write about the importance of investing in resources bearing fruit. And it, as I interpreted it, having some goal metrics. Talk about that and, and am I right in my kind of goal metric summation?
2: Yeah, so there's a couple of different things that I've been talking about an awful lot lately. What are we preserving for us? What are we protecting? So like if, as we're pivoting right now, are we trying to preserve the church exactly like it was pre-pandemic, 1950s, whatever it might be, or are we, or are we trying to say this is what the ethos of the church is? We want to keep the essentials of the church together and be able to kind of kind of mold and say. But what are as churches? Are you trying to preserve your church, or are you trying to pro- protect your, or yeah, or protect your church? Another question is going to metrics is that this is a time of experimentation. People are trying things, which is exciting. They're like, we're going to try this, we're going to try that, we're going to try. That. But the hard thing about one, oftentimes, when we say that we're going to try different things, the church doesn't see it as a sprint; they see it as a marathon. That we're going to do this program and we're going to be doing it until Jesus comes back, like or <laughs> whatever. But we need to say, let's let's prototype some things. Let's put some things together. Let's say, hey, let's look at it three or six months down the road. What is the goal of this program? Is this program to reach children or is it kids? Or And then we need to say, here, here is what we want to see happen through this program. And we need to have that sort of mentality instead of saying, this program is going to be cut off if it doesn't have 50 people by the end of it. And they all need to be from the, commun- from the apartment buildings across the street from the church. But we need to have real metrics of what's going on. I think we as churches, we are horrible at metrics of of saying this is what our goal is. We're going to do things, and we're just going to go and do things. And we never go back to reexamining if it was successful. I think we need to go back and say, okay, this was successful because it met our goals in the beginning. Our goals were to reach the people in in, in the apartment complex. Our goals was to make a difference in their life, and our goal was to serve them in some way, shape, or form. And we need to go back and say, were those goals met? And then then we need to say, if this wasn't the way to do it, what would have been a better way? And perhaps we need to realign to do that. And I think that's what the whole, this whole thing, instead of doing something for the sake of doing something. And I think churches do things for the sake of doing something because they've always done it. So like, like you have these churches that will serve at the food pantry once a month and God bless them. Yes. Right. right. But what, what is, what is the point of, right. of doing that? If you're, if you're just investing all your energy to do that, is it a part of the mission of your church? Is this what people are passionate about? Or are you just simply throwing your assets to that direction because that's what you've always done? And is God actually calling you to that? So it's kind of really, really looking at what we're doing and are using of our assets. Kind of like what I talked about earlier is like are we using our assets that God's given us effectively? And perhaps we need to change some of the things we've done to do something that God's called us to do.
1: Yeah. I'm reminded of, I don't know if you've came across her work. I had on um, Anna Mitchell Hall who works for convergence. I think that's what it's called. Anyway, she, she mentioned to me that she recommends the churches they write a eulogy for, for every new program, which I
0: just love that idea. <laughs>
1: Because it just embeds yeah. this idea that this is not necessarily a permanent thing. Um, so yeah, those are some great thoughts there. Well, we've got to we've got to take a break. The book is again Rediscovering Vitality: A Handbook for Church Visioning and Missioning. What I liked about it is at the end of every chapter there was a lot of discussion questions and and uh, critical thinking type quick type questions to really get folks get your get you engaged and thinking about the concepts. Uh, throughout the chapter so uh, let's take a quick break we'll come back with some closing questions all right we're back with reverend dr reverend sean chow and uh, thanks so much for your time enjoy the conversation uh, so you can take these closing questions as seriously or not as you'd like to but if you're pope for a day <laughs> if you're pope for a day what does that what does that day look like for you
2: Oh, uh, if, if I'm Pope for a day, that, that, well, that's a, that's a great question. Um, a lot of it goes back to some of the, part of my passion is getting people to do things that, that God's called us to do instead of sitting in, in our pews. And I think I've kind of really talked about it over, over this last little bit as we've kind of talked, is that is that people, if our, I if our were Pope for a day, I'd have people do things. Instead of, instead of saying, hey, let's instead of going to church, and I love these churches that have those, ser- we're saying we're closed today, we're doing a service projects in their community instead. And if I were Pope for that, that would be something vastly important. What if instead of just a church or just a few people, we as a Christian faith made a, decided to make an impact on the United States and throughout the world for just a day? What would that look like if we if we if we together served and did what God called us to do instead of simply talk about it?
1: Yeah, yeah, I like that. Um, a theologian or historical Christian figure you'd want to meet or bring back to life.
2: Bring back to life. <laughs> yeah. um, I am fascinated with Phyllis Tickle, who recently died. Um, a Martin, Martin Luther and some of the, and some of these reformers that. that that I see us at the at the some of these this, these edges of transformational points, pivot points in in the in the church, like the reformers moving from the Catholic Church being the center of it to the Reformation, Protestantism, and then we, and then and then we have what's going on with Martin Luther King and some all these different things that are going on in the world now. That I see a lot of comparisons to how do we shake up what what, what like what Martin Luther did and so forth. So I'd love to spend sometimes with people, like, I'd really like to know what gave them all that strength to to step against the current of different things. And so, like, Phyllis Tickle talks about in her book the, that, that we're in this rummage sale type thing. Every 500 years, it really everything is shaken up. And I was like, 500 years ago, as reformers. I was like, okay, they really shook it up. And now we're in this present age where things are sh- being shaken up. And, and like listening to reading the letters from the Birmingham jail, MLK, MLK kind of did. And you're just like, Whoa, he's talking to me. Yeah. these, I'm like, I'm like, and just this whole idea of how do we shift in, in changing, going against the flow of, of, of Christianity saying, Hey, this was what the Roman Catholic church was like. And now we're Protestant. What, what made them even, what, all those different shifts would just blow my mind, as well as some of these people that are doing those exact same thing in today's kind of age of, of making drastic shifts in what faith looks like to us and how do we live out our faith.
1: Yeah. Well, what do you think history will remember from our current time and place?
2: I think history remembers from our, our kind of current time and place that there's so much division going on. That if we look, if we look back, I go because a lot of his I do so much reading and or so much what's going on in the news. And I go, I don't remember all of this. Like when we go through history books, like all the civil strife and all these other things that are going on in the world. And I think we're in a time of really defining ourselves. Hmm. And I think, and my prayer is that this is when we define who we are as a people. And I th- and that's what that's what my prayer is, is that is that we are so much in so many different places that I'd love for us as Christians, as the Presbyterians or whatever it might be, be able to identify who and what we are. That that we're not just our own individuals, but we're people of faith. And how do we live out people of faith by besides just saying this is what we believe, but by what we're doing? Yeah. And I I would long for this to be a time of revival where the people of God stood up and made a difference in the world. Yeah. It
1: sounds like that's your hope for the future of Christianity there. Anything else you'd want to add to that? It is.
2: No, I, and I pray that the church that I grew up in becomes much more diversified that I would love that I, I see it. And we're all in our own little silos as I travel the country but I'd love for the people of God to come together and to be one voice, even though not technically one voice, but to be one people with many different languages. I'd love for us and that's my hope is that is that we can overcome what it was to, what, what it was to be to be a variety of different denominations and come together and be a people of God to be able to affect change in this world because together we're kind of scattered. Or not together we're scattered, but we're scattered, but right. together we can do something amazing. God can do something amazing of, with all of us together.
1: Well, I really appreciate your thoughts. Uh, recommend the book to to our listeners here. Where can people uh, connect with you online?
2: People can connect with me through my um, email, which is sean at rediscoveringvitality or my website, the Aspen Collaborative, or you can find my book and everything else like that on com slash rediscovering dash vitality. And so those are the main kind of different channels that you can find me. And so I'm also on Facebook and Instagram and doing a bunch of different things there.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time and uh, wish you God's peace. May God's peace be with you.
2: Thank you very much.
0: Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future-christian.com. One more thing before you go. Do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. And if you're feeling especially generous, leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people about the podcast. The Future Christian Podcast is a production of Torn Curtain Arts and Resonate Media. Our episodes were mixed by Danny Burton, and the production support is provided by Paul Roe-McLevitt. Thanks, and go in peace.